You're listening to 3CR Radio. And
man that was Benedict with Warzone. You're on In Your Face on 3CR with James. On today's show, we chat with Benedict and with Justine Della River from the Victorian Pride Centre. 3CR Well, Benedict is a Melbourne singer-songwriter and musician and I chatted with her this week about Warzone. I love your track. I can't get the chorus out of my head. Oh, uh, that's awesome. <laughs> tell us about what it's about. Well, the track is basically revolving around, you know, different experiences uh, that I've gone through that I've sort of put into a track that I guess I want other people to be able to reflect on whether it's things I've been through in their life, you know, traumas, whether it's been, you know, with growing up, being bullied, religion, spirituality, coming out, all those sort of things that people experience um, through, you know, really horrific experiences like narcissism and gaslighting. Um, And it's about sort of being able to process that and then come out the other end, like that love is a war zone, you know, and coming out the other end and just being able to like in in all their glory uh, be who they are. So, yeah. Do you remember what you were doing and where you were when you had this idea for, for the song? especially that really catchy chorus? Um, You know what? It's so funny. I actually wrote the song in parts. Like I started writing it and it just hit me one day and sometimes this happens, you know, I could be sitting there for days trying to write a song and then uh, this song poured out of me in about 10 minutes Um, and I wrote part, like I wrote the first part and then left it sitting maybe for a month or two and then the rest just poured out of me again and I just, I'd try not to push you know, my songs. Um, it's like they've got their own little life, their, their birthing life. And yeah, I, I remember just sort of, I was actually processing some grief in my own life and really coming to an understanding of uh, a healing process I was going through. And I thought to myself, you know, this love, this 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 friendship I was going through, I was, this is a war zone. It feels like a war zone. And then just it suddenly just hit me like sometimes the melody and lyrics just hit me and it's like there's lines of walls on baby and I was like oh my gosh like this is it so yeah it um it was probably about I don't know um two or three months ago of a process I was going through yeah it's interesting when you just started singing just then I had visions of two artists uh Florence on the Machine and of course uh, a star from the late 80s Tony Childs amazing love them both (laughs) Yeah, awesome. Thank you. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> so it sounds like, you know, when you were writing Warzone, there was a lot of subconscious work going on in between those bursts when you actually did the writing. Absolutely. Um, you know, I think for me, I believe very strongly in uh, the process of healing in your own life. And um, I think we never stop healing. Um, I also had had you know, different experiences of my own personal life with, you know, with family and with friends and with my spirituality and all these different things that kind of ended up pushing at me. And um, I took time out to just process that and heal. And, um, you know, I think grief is important to come out the other end and be able to, you know, I guess self-love as well, that that's an important thing to me to be able to go, you know, I'm worthy of love and I'm precious. And, I guess I wanted to relay that to everybody else, you know, in that song for me, especially with the film clip, it's all about, you know, the process of elimination of healing and then going, hey, you know what, you're beautiful the way you are. And 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 I think a lot of people don't feel that. And I think it is important for us to bring a message across to our community of people that that, that is a real thing, that, that everybody's worthy of love. 
songwriting sounds like an incredibly therapeutic exercise for you based on self-awareness where you really dig deep for that self-awareness oh yeah <laughs> it's definitely uh definitely a therapeutic experience for me um you know it's uh it's something i've done since the age of five and um thank you mum <laughs> and um pushing at me to you know, come on write another song write another song so for me it is just something that i live and breathe you know um it's really important so it sounds like your mum's been a big influence on your songwriting. Oh, she has. Um, yeah, I grew up in a very musical family. So my mother, you know, brought me up on the greats um, and is an amazing singer in her own right. Uh, and I was, you know, she was sort of handed me a guitar when I was a young uh, little kid and oh, here you go and give it a go. And I was like, no, no, I don't want to play it. Give it a go. <laughs> um, and then sort of, you know, started teaching me to sing and to play and perform and and I just fell in love with it. And um, I think my first song was about rainbows or something. And she was, you know, oh, I love it. Go and write another one, you know, and uh, just sort of, yeah, inspired me and influenced me and consistent, consi consistently nurtured me in that. So I'm very blessed in that way. So it sounds like your mum is a very accomplished singer and performer. Tell us more about her work. She is. Oh, look, my mum, she's a funny one. Like she, yeah, grew up in uh, Ballarat, so regional Victoria or just outside um, and Grew up with, you know, 13 brothers and sisters and um, all musical on a farm and, you know, um, all that sort of thing. And then, you know, in Ballarat she, she sang for years and she was quite well known and then moved into Melbourne and sang with bands for years and, you know, was a Louis Vuitton model in the in the, in the day, you know, in the big shop like doing her modelling and, um, yeah, sang with bands for years and then kind of, yeah, she hasn't, she hasn't done anything professional for many years but she's uh, she kind of you know, pass that on to her kids and, and, you know, my sister and my brother are both musical as well and um, it's never ended, you know, the, the support I get from my dad as well, he, you know, he, he definitely can't sing in key um, <laughs> but he uh, is incredibly supportive. So very lucky, you know, um, to have that creative um, energy flowing. I really sense that creativity too and just that kind of modelling influence as well in the music video for Warzone and the influence that I sense was once again the 80s but the new romantic era with the costumes. Absolutely. And sci-fi. Yeah, a little bit of sci. <laughs> um, the experience for the film clip was amazing. I actually directed that myself and um, the story actually hit. It's so funny. The story hit me the day before. Um, I'd been planning it for so long and I had a totally different story in mind and I'd you know, a friend of mine, he took me down to um, the guy that's Dylan, uh, who is the roller skater in the film clip, actually took me down to Vintage Garage and he's a friend, his friend is Moose, who owns Vintage Garage in Collingwood, Victoria, uh, Melbourne, Victoria, and um, they have incredible costumes and one of their stylists there, Val, um, helped us out. Um, and even the wings, for example, are from a, a Victoria's Secret runway from the 60s or something like that. They're vintage wings. Um, and it just suddenly hit me just like the song. It just went bang. And so I rang a few friends and said, do you want to be part of a film clip? And um, the amazing part of the film clip was they're all, you know, all of those people have been going through their own turmoil and war zone and just watching it. I was in tears at the end of the day being like, thank you so much, guys. Like you've created this, this energy of this story and it's just mind-blowing to me. Like I was just blown away and humbled by their gifts as well, you know. I absolutely love the uh, smoke that's kind of emanating from the roller skates. Tell us oh. more about that. <laughs> well, again, I, a few days earlier, you know, I'd said, oh, you know, I really want, I was speaking to Dylan, I said, I really want like the skates to be on fire. I want this to be like your glory moment of how beautiful you are and, you know, and, and just 
you know, you're on fire, like that, which is what the song's about. It's a war zone. But, and I ended up sort of, uh, ordering these smoke, um, these little smoke things that I attached, you know, we attached to his skate and he said, yeah, give it to me. I'll attach it to my skate. Like he walked out in this amazing costume and I was like, wow. And, um, yeah. And then we attached it to his skate and he's like, look, it might set my boot on fire, but let's give it a go. <laughs> so, and he just lit it on fire and we you know, running around with water, just chasing him. But, um, yeah, it was blue smoke and it was just so powerful just incorporating everything just like of him ripping out of his turmoil. It was just amazing. So, yeah. And, of course, that blue smoke kind of taps into the whole sci-fi thing as well, like those masks that mm, people are wearing in the video. A little bit of Mad Max. I, well, Mad Max, but also the Borg from Star Trek. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, right. So well, you hadn't thought of that at all? I, I hadn't thought of that. To me, it was they were like these... Oh, the way I describe those those characters were that, you know, they were the turmoil in his head and they were taunting him, um, you know, and that was sort of like, it, you know, he, he was all over the place and they're sort of just, you know, constantly like messing with him and they were his experiences and when he's chained up, at, you know, in the middle of the song and they're looking at him smiling, it's like they're, you know, they're, they're messing around with him and, and, and then, you know, that angel comes in and re- he releases um, and he heals and, and that, you know, they were just like those mental sort of, as we all get those experiences through grief and pain and suffering, you know. So, yeah. But, uh, no, that's a cool one. <laughs> Take that on board. The clip was also set in a, a warehouse. How did you, how did you find mm. that warehouse? Well, we did a little bit of research uh, and I found that one's in um, Footscray uh, in Melbourne. And, um, yeah, I guess we thought, it would be such a great space because it's, you know, rustic and it's industrial and um, it's cold. And the feeling was that, you know, we had the setting of his bedroom in there as well to create more of an artistic uh, view. But, you know, it, it could relate to anything, whether someone's homeless or whether someone's, you know, jailed or, or whatever they're feeling. Uh, and, yeah, so we chose that space and we got to use it for the day and it was just incredible the way the day run. So, uh, you know, I'm super, super happy with, with how it how it happened um and the space was perfect with the lighting and everything so yeah it, uh, it was a quick find which is good you're listening to an interview with benedict on 3cr's in your face you mentioned jails of course you have worked as a prison guard how has that influenced you oh look it's you know it's influenced me massively um i you know, I look at our community of people who are suffering uh, within the cells. I spent three years working um, in the cells and um, it absolutely broke my heart um, being a deep empath. Um, unfortunately, you know, I take a lot on um, and, you know, I, I mean, it, it influences everything I do with my music and um, the way I look at people, the way I look at society. Um, you know, I think to me they're the forgotten people. To me they're people that... You know, I used to see the same faces every day uh, walking in and out of the cells. You know, they get bail to come back, that sort of thing. And um, I, I think it's a part of our community that's just overlooked. And I think that, you know, the rehabilitation system is is messy. I think something needs to be done about it. And I'm deeply passionate about um, speaking out for these people that don't have a voice, that have been caught up in a system that I don't think is healing them in any way and don't think the process is correct. That's just that's my view, you know. It seems like such a surprising role for a deep empath. Uh, it is. <laughs> I actually, look, I, I'm a very justice-based person, so I, um, I'm i very, I guess, you know, I'm, I'm a huge humanitarian and, 
I guess, yeah, for me, I was I was looking into the police force at one point, which is really random, but um, I wanted to do something for society. What I recognised in these three years of working there was that this was not a, an environment that was um, in any way connective to my healing process other than the fact that, you know, I knew that I could speak to prisoners and say, hey, um, the, the one thing that came out of it was, was you know, because I saw the same faces every single you know, second week or week or whatever that I was working, um, I, I could say something to them and I realised that it would have an impact on them. Um, so the way I, I used to run my, my job was basically knowing that I could sort of, like, you know, talk to them and try and give some sort of positivity to their lives. And I remember a prisoner who he hadn't been back in about six months and he said to me, Miss, you know, I said, what are you doing back here, mate? And he said, oh, stuffed up, Miss. And I said, oh, you know, you know, come on, mate. And he said, you know, Miss, the reason I stayed out for that long was because you told me I could be better. And he goes, as long as I've stayed out in about five years. And I realised at that point that I had, I could have an impact on, a little impact at least on, on their lives that they thought they saw a worthiness in themselves. And that's why I'm so passionate about the way I write music um, of social, social observation and social justice. It's deeply important to me. Speaking of social justice, I saw a lot of our themes around gender equality in the in the mm. clip for Warzone. Can you talk about that? Yeah, look, I mean, um, I'm very – look, I guess gender equality being um, – obviously the, the film clip's incredibly queer, um, <laughs> which I love, and I am all for the LGBTQI community um, being queer myself, and I'm in, I'm really really passionate about um, a voice for everybody, and it, it incorporates experiences a lot of my friends have had, including myself, um, over the years. You know, and I think it is important uh, that I, I guess it comes down to like that. That's my experience, but then I want other people to get other experiences from it. If that, if that makes sense, so. You know, being, like I said, whether it's with they've had a falling out with their religion um, because of coming out or whether they've, you know, been bullied or, you know, um, I know Dylan's had his own experiences who who was um, the main character in that. And, you know, he was really, really um, dancing and moving to his experience and um, being a country boy, you know, growing up um, and, and, and not being able to be truly who he was. And, you know, I, I know a lot of people suffering and unfortunately it affects our community. It affects our community as a wide, you know, as a whole, I mean, um, you know, and that's, it breaks my heart. You know, I think that everybody should be allowed to be themselves and um, we are indoctrinated into a society that tells us how to be, where to be, who to be, and I don't think that is okay. Um, and so, yes, I'm speaking out for I guess every community, but obviously it is very angled from, I guess, a colourful and queer element because that is it incorporates who I am as well. So that soul searching that you've done and that kind of, you know, self-therapy that you've done, mm. to what extent did that help you choreograph this this music video to Warzone? I mean, it was your directorial debut. Yeah, well, I mean, I think, like I said, the day before I just had such an awakening of, you know, a light bulb moment, I should say, of just oh, my God, like when I walked into Vintage Garage and I was talking to the team there and I was like seeing all these costumes and um, for me, you know, the Victorian dress that I wear is actually owned by Val. He's a, a stylist, an Italian stylist, he's incredible, and he was like, darling, you need to wear my dress. I was like, oh, my gosh, I love you. And I, you know, it, it, it was about the grieving element. So I felt like I was almost like a grieving widow. Um, it's like 
death, you know, and then going into the white light and everybody in like the angel and the colour and the brightness um, about being in light. You know, we, we deserve to live in light. And I think, you know, with the different movements, the, sta- the stagnant, you know, movement of the faces and the sort of the angst in it, um, it, it was it was trying to I guess put out the the emotion and the the pain and the suffering that you know Dylan was going through and I was telling the story but um, incorporated in all of it was yeah the torment of those characters like you said the sci-fi characters you know and that they were in his head and they were messing with him and but they were also past memories of people that had bullied him and he'd suffered in and all these different things that you know people go through day in day out um, yeah. It sounds like you have incredible empathy with the gay male community. Can you kind of tell us a bit more about community. that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I have I have deep a deep empathy for all communities. I mean, I, I genuinely, my heart just is, like I said, I'm a humanitarian. I think that all people deserve complete support um, and love. Like I just, it absolutely breaks my heart that people, um, at all suffer for very silly reasons. And I think, look, the gay male community, the gay female community, the straight community, all these communities to me, oh, they just like, I just think, you know, I've got, I've got straight friends who, who talk about the suffering they go through and the pressures they have from society to, you know, have their 2.5 kids and their white picket fence and get married by this age and, you know, and the pressures they have from family and their, you know, different churches and different things and different workplaces and whatever. And again, I feel like it's an indoctrination. I, I absolutely support um, the LGBTQI plus community, um, you know, like I said, um, with myself being in that and, um yeah, I think that the suffering I've seen is just stupid. Do you know what I mean? Like it, it just breaks my heart and the more that I see friends suffering for zero, for stupid reasons, um, I get to a point where I'm like this is this shouldn't happen. Um, so I feel like I have a platform to be able to speak out for people and, um, and, and I'm using it. Will Warzone be part of an album? Ooh, quite possibly. Um, I'm currently, as I said, I've released it as a single. Um, I've got another single that I'm actually in the middle of writing, uh, which has come to me like Warzone, a similar experience, um, which is, I guess, about the current climate uh, that we're in. And I, um, I'm i hoping to create a, a really great album that um, can can be a vinyl at some point. So that would be super exciting. Tell us about the, uh, the sound of this new single. Again, upbeat, pumped, um, with a positive twist. Um, you know, obviously my, my songs all have that dark and painful energy, but then um, an awareness and a glory and a hope in them as well. The sound, I'm wanting it to be for the people and about the people. Um, and I want it to be, without giving too much away, um, I, I really, really want this to reach people where they can start to stand up for themselves and start to go, hang on a minute, what's going on here? We're in a we're in a lockdown situation. We can't see families. People are dying around us. We have a biological war going on. Um, it's affecting everybody um, worldwide. Um, you know, how is this controlling our society? Is this real? Like there's so many questions that people aren't answering and they're going, yes, sir, no, sir, three bags full. Um, you know, we're wearing masks two months ago. They told us not to. There's so many things that are twisted and confusing. And this is a song, look, the song's called Wake Up. And I, I want people to wake up and start questioning things, um, you know, because we're not robots. We're not, you know, 
told, we, we get told what to do and we do it uh, through fear and we shouldn't be living in fear. And that is important to me, um, that our community should not be living in fear. Benedict, thank you so much for chatting with me today on 3CR. My pleasure. Thank you so much. 3CR.
If you're wrestling with feelings of anxiety, worry and depression or finding the current social isolation measures hard to deal with, we would like to encourage you to call Wellways Helpline. Wellways Helpline is a volunteer support and referral service that provides information to people experiencing mental health issues or other disabilities, as well as their family, friends and carers. We're here to talk if you are seeking information about mental health or mental health services or just need someone to talk to. As a peer-based service, everyone working at Wellways Helpline has a lived experience of mental health issues or disability. Wellways Helpline is a national service and operates Monday to Friday, 9am to 9pm, excluding public holidays. If you feel it would be helpful to talk to someone about these issues during this difficult period, please call Wellways Helpline on 1300 111500. That's 1300 111500. Wellways supports 3CR. Found myself today singing out loud your name You said I'm crazy If I am, I'm crazy for you Sometimes sitting in the dark Wishing you were here turns me crazy But it's you who makes me lose my Every time I'm meant to be acting sensible, you drift into my head and turn me into a crumbling fool. Tell me to run an race if you want me to stop, I'll freeze. And if you want me, gonna leave, just hold me closer, baby.
Crazy for you. We also heard from Jamira Kwai with Virtual Insanity. 3CR. Well, Justine Della River is the first CEO of the Victorian Pride Centre, which is currently under construction. And Justine begins our interview by describing the journey that she's been on that led her to the role. Thanks, James. Um, wow. So, started uh, over two years ago. Um, I uh, was really fortunate to um, get the position of communications advisor. So I have a long uh, history in the in the not for profit um, in the communications and marketing area, uh, and I saw this amazing opportunity to to work for the Victorian Prime Centre pop up, and so I put my hand up and got the role and so that first year of um, working for the Pride Centre, my role was to really try and articulate to the community what the Pride Centre was going to be, um, what it was going to mean for the LGBTIQ community uh, and how people could get on board and so that was my first year. And then um, at the end of last year, uh, the board made the decision to um, create the acting CEO role um, and again I put my hand up and said I really want the opportunity uh, to lead this amazing uh, and unique project and they um, you know gave me the, the opportunity to show them my my wares in terms of uh, the CEO role and then just recently I went through a um, competitive uh, process uh, to secure the, the permanent role as CEO. So, uh, I'm really proud and, and kind of very, feeling very humble to, to be in the role and to, to lead what I think is going to be a really, uh, significant and iconic place. Um, not just for the LGBTIQ community, but I think, um, for the broader community as well, because it's going to represent, uh, a place where people feel valued and, and respected and welcomed. So that's you know kind of where um, uh, why I'm here and uh, and what I'm hoping to do. You mentioned what the centre will mean for the community beyond inclusion that you just hinted at. Uh, what else will it mean? Well, the the vision for the centre has always been to be the most loved and well known and visited home for the LGBTIQ community. Uh, and I think, you know, as far as visions go, when you kind of unpack them and what do, you know, what does that actually mean? Um, I see a centre, um, and an organisation that's going to empower individuals and communities to kind of fully engage in society by providing a place where people feel valued and respected and celebrated and safe. Um, and we're going to do that through things like facilitating access. Uh, to the services and the organisations that will be in the in the Pride Centre that will be resident orgs. Um, through those services, sort of innovating and connecting with each other, um, creating access for smaller groups and, you know, emerging groups in the community where they can also um, come together and learn from each other and, you know, focus on different and important um 
issues for the community. Um, and most importantly, it's going to be a place of social connection. So I don't know uh, if many of your listeners, listeners know about kind of the, the way the centre is going to, to be activated um, on the ground floor, for instance. Um, you know, the building will be open to the public. People will be able to walk in. Um, they'll be able to grab a coffee. They can view the gallery space, which we hope to utilise to um, champion, you know, queer artists. Um, and then at the back, there'll be a theatrette, for example, where again, we'll want to champion queer performances. Um, but that theatrette at the back, which is a multi-purpose space, you know, it might be used during the day, uh, for a Pilates class or, uh, for a forum, um, or a workshop debating, you know, issues of equality. So, so the centre itself will also be a great place for social connection. So it's got a really strong community development focus. Yes, yeah, yeah, definitely. Because the 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 centres come from communities. So the whole concept of the Pride Centre, um, you know, came out of community, came out of organisations working in the community um in the LGBTIQ space, um, wanting a, a wanting a home, wanting um, you know, that sustainability and that um uh uh, you know, opportunity to come together and work together more collaboratively. Um, so in a sense, you know, it's, it's what the communities ask for that, you know, that we're trying to deliver. Tell us about the organisations that will be housed at the Pride Centre. Yeah, so we've got um, uh, letters of offer or we're going through the, the leasing negotiations at the moment with um, a number of major LGBTIQ uh, organisations. So uh, Joy FM, for example, which is you know Australia's one and only LGBTIQ radio station, will be broadcasting from the Pride Centre. So we're pretty excited about that. Um, another community radio station like yourself. So you know it's great to be able to support that community radio aspect. Um, Switchboard, who is uh, Victoria's statewide. Um, uh, online and phone uh, counselling support service. They'll have their administration uh, office in the centre, the Melbourne Queer Film Festival, um, as well as Thorn Harbour Health, which is, um, you know, the LGBTIQ community's, um, you know, premier and foremost um, uh, allied and health uh, community service. Uh, and we've also got... Um, Transgender Victoria. So we're trying to, to really bring together a whole range of organizations, um, that provide services to all the, uh, all the sectors of our community, um, so that everybody, you know, feels welcomed, uh, welcomed and included. What are some of the biggest challenges in putting this uh, amazing project together? Uh, I think just the sheer complexity really of, of a project of this size. Uh, because it's more, it's more than just building, building a building. Um, it's about, uh, you know, that aspect of activating it, making it a, a vibrant, um, community hub, um, where, uh, those organizations, uh, can work together, that they can, you know, build their own, uh, capacity, uh, where we can provide, you know, new and innovative services. So I think, I think it's, you know, it's just that there's, there's a lot of layers to, to creating, you know, Australia's first pride centre. So I think that's probably one, you know, from my perspective, one of the biggest challenges is, um, 
you know, it's not just about, you know, constructing a building. Where is the centre at financially? Uh, are there some financial worries or, or is all that sorted? Oh, we've been very lucky in, uh, in terms of uh, the state government providing um, significant foundation funding uh, for the construction of the centre. Uh, and we've also secured um, a financing or a loan uh, from uh, Treasury Corp. Uh, so from a um, you know construction uh, construction or project construction budget, um, we're on um, we're on budget to to build within our within our means. Um, we've had to do you know a bit of value management as any sort of construction um, project needs to do, and so you know at times we've you know gone to community. Uh, you know, seeking their financial support. At the moment, we've got a thing on the website called the Pride Registry where people can buy um, a, a jug or a set of glasses for the kitchen on the on the first floor. Um, so, you know, so we've balanced, you know, between, um, you know, the cost of construction as well as the what will be the future cost of, of running the centre. Um, but we're in a very um, sustainable Space moving forward uh, because we've been um, able to secure tenants such as Star Health who will take up the second floor of the Pride Centre. They're, they're a commercial tenant or what we, we sort of call a commercial tenant um, that will help uh, to um, subsidise to a certain extent the, the rents and the, um, from our LGBTIQ community organisations. So um, that's been um, a really important part of the, the vision of the centre is that long-term financial sustainability. In terms of the centre's design, uh, what are some of the sustainability issues that have come up and how will you be managing them? Uh, in terms of when you say sustainability, do you mean from an environmental perspective? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so part of our work with um, uh, the City of Port Phillip, so the City of Port Phillip um, provided, uh, well, um, through the EOI process, they provided um, uh, the land or they've gifted the land and, and part of our agreement with them, besides us you know, running the Pride Centre as a Pride Centre for the next you know, 20 odd years, um, was that we needed to create a green uh, travel plan. Um, and so that green uh, travel plan is one of the aspects or the environmental sustainability aspects that um, we've incorporated into the building. And so there's things that um, uh, that we've done in terms of, um, for instance, uh, there's water tanks in the, in the basement, so they've been put in. Uh, we've got uh, showers on the mezzanine floor. Um, that are both fully um, gender neutral and, and accessible. Uh, on the rooftop, we've got design for the for the solar panels. Uh, we're also looking at um, being able to establish a community garden. Uh, so there's a range, yeah, there's a range of things that that we've um, incorporated into the design, but also that we're hoping to incorporate into the way in which people interact with the building. And of course, the 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 building uh, is in St Kilda. Uh, tell us about the process that led uh, Pride to decide on, on St Kilda being the location for the Pride Centre. Well, yeah, so at the beginning, uh, there was an uh, EOI process uh, 
there and four, I think four councils all uh, submitted um, their intention to um, house or have the Pride Centre located in, the, in their municipality. And then an independent um, uh, group uh, reviewed those um, uh, reviewed those applications uh, against a set of criteria, and uh, the city of Port Phillip was the one that um, was selected in the end. Fantastic. And and, and I'll probably just add in part because also um, you know the the St Kilda has has a very long history of. Um, Welcoming the LGBTIQ community, and especially on uh, on Fitzroy Street, and there's a number of um, you know places that the community uh, frequented, and really the the Pride Centre is actually built on um, Munro's Restaurant, which was a place that the trans community used to used to um, meet uh, back in the 70s and 80s. Fantastic. Look, I take my hat off to you. It must be very difficult at time managing all of these uh, different stakeholder interests in the project, in the Pride Centre, especially among the tenants. Oh, look, the, the, the tenants, the, the local community in St Kilda, um, everybody has been um, so positive and um, so excited about uh, the project and about um, the creation of a pride centre. So I think you know I've been and and the organisation more broadly have been really lucky to to have the the support and and the enthusiasm and um, the excitement of of you know organisations within the within the sector wanting to come in um, and just the general community um, recognising the value that uh, that they think the pride centre is going to bring. Um, uh, to them and and to you know to Victoria more broadly. What are the impacts of Victoria's stage four coronavirus restrictions on the construction of the Pride Centre? Yeah, so at the moment the team at Hanson Youngkin are going through uh, the restrictions and understanding um, where we where our project sits. Uh, so they're doing a, a piece of work at the moment to understand the different um, aspects of the restrictions and how that's going to um, have an impact on their program of work. So that, that piece of work's really important. There's a few things that, that need to be uh, clarified um, at the moment regarding those restrictions. So at the moment where, you know, we're waiting for the team to do that critical, critical piece of work so that, you know, we'll be better able to, you know, communicate and understand the implications of the of the stage four on um, uh, on the schedule of works and on the opening. What are some of those areas that need clarification with the construction? Oh, so for instance, just how we're going to work with the subcontractors. So I don't know if you know, but on on construction sites, if um, uh, sub subcontractors are only to work on one particular site. And so that has an impact on on your program of works, and and that's conversations that the the builders need to have with the subcontractors. So when can we expect the Pride Centre to open? Well, uh, originally or at the moment, the the practical completion date was the 29th of October. That's when you know the builders are to hand over the hand over the keys and and all of the tenant organisations. Um, uh, can come in, but you know, as we know, given you know the announcement this week, um, 
uh, you know, that date will shift. Um, but you know, to to where it shifts at the moment, we're not we're not one hundred percent sure, and we need to do that that work that programming work. Justine Della River, thank you so much for talking to me today on Three CR, and congratulations on your new role as CEO of the Victorian Pride Centre. No, thank you, James, and thank you for the opportunity to um, to come on Three CR and to to talk to your listeners. Three
that was Donna Giles. We also had Dusty Springfield in there. I'm out of here. Jacob's up next with a Friday rave. Taking us out are the vines with Vision Deli. We'll catch you next week on In Your Face.